Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Christopher Klein, and our tech support, Uriah Young. We have a very special guest today, and he's been on here once before. Everybody, welcome back. Daryl Reynolds, former Villanova star and former uh, Sixers Summer League uh, player. Daryl and Uriah and Chris, how are we doing tonight, guys? Good, man. Good. How y'all feeling? Feeling good. I'm, I'm excited to uh, talk some Sixers basketball. I'm just a fly on the wall, guys. I'm, I'm here to listen and be entertained. Do your thing. Uriah, you're much more than just a fly on the wall. You're, you're an important part of our team. But I'm glad to hear everybody's doing good. I just cut grass earlier today. But I am ready to do this podcast. We're excited to have Daryl back. Daryl, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of different things going on. So I'm going to let Chris take the reins on this first one here. Chris, take it away. All right, we're going to jump right in here with the NBA's impending return. The report from Adrian Wojnarowski around a week ago was that the NBA plans to return on July 31st or around that date in Orlando at Disney World. But recently, some questions have been raised over, I guess, the validity of that plan, Kyrie Irving being a chief um, voice against the plan in a recent call with NBA players, over 100 players, according to Woj. Kyrie said that the current moment, both political and socially, may not be conducive to a return to play and that it may be important for players to maybe step back and keep keep up the fight uh, for change and justice around the country. I'm going to let Daryl take the, the reins here first. Daryl, what were your initial thoughts on Kyrie's grievances? Uh, I think he definitely has a valid point. I think because it's Kyrie, it's going to be taken with a grain of salt, unfortunately. Um, but that doesn't mean that I, I disagree with what he's saying. I, I'm, I kind of see it both ways. I see the players who are saying us being out there and us being able to send a message through, you know, what we do best is a good route to take, but I also completely understand people saying that, you know, not playing is really the answer. And I think it's a case-by-case thing. But like I said, because it's Kyrie, you know what I mean? He's the boy that crowd wolf on so many things. It's kind of like, uh, you know what I mean? I think if somebody backs him on this, it could delay the season up. If the right people back him on this, should I say. I think that's an interesting point. My initial reactions 
is and I, I actually wrote a uh, my senior thesis in college about Bill Russell's uh, activism in the civil rights. And even though Bill Russell was an active civil rights player, he uh, activist, he he never stopped playing. Even well, the one time he did, it was because a teammate of his uh, was denied service at the hotel um, cafe, and then he and his team left the city that that was in. And I believe that was St. Louis. But that's but for the most part, you know, playing through diversity, I think, has always been a key component of the NBA, and I think it's a stronger form. But I like you said. There's also another, the the case that you know, if you don't play, it sends a stronger message. And I it, it, like you said, it's a case by case scenario. But I, me personally, think I think using the form that the NBA is definitely the one league that has the the most outreach for players to make a voice. So I think playing through that would be playing and using that platform would be better. Yeah, I, I think I agree with both of you. I, I can certainly see it from both sides. And I think to your point with Kyrie, um, Daryl, I do think it's about message over messenger in this case. Obviously, Kyrie has said some questionable questionable things in the past, but I, I do think his complaints and his grievances are legitimate. I think he's making a very valid point. And I know other guys have already backed him publicly, Dwight Howard. There are comments from Dwight Howard along the same lines. So there are other players in his camp for sure. It'll be, he also, I think it's important to point out that he was emphasizing unity and that he agreed to get behind whatever the players decided on. So it, it's not necessarily him dissenting against everyone else. It's him bringing up op- opposing views and maybe putting those out on the table and letting people discuss them more than him just going against the grain because he obviously is willing to play if that's what everyone decides is best. But yeah, I do I do think it is a, an interesting moment because this does feel somewhat like an inflection point, a very pivotal moment um, in this country. So I can certainly understand why guys would maybe feel like basketball isn't the most important thing right now. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have Austin Rivers, you know, LeBron James, guys who are arguing that maybe through basketball they can help um, facilitate change. So I, I do think it's an interesting discussion and one that we're going to hear a lot more about probably over the next few weeks. And moving on, another issue that has been brought up with this NBA plan is the coronavirus, most notably around Disney World in Florida, where cases are fairly high right now. We know Florida has been open for a few weeks now. Cases have spiked again. Um, Daryl, I'll let you answer this first again. Do you feel like the NBA's current bubble plan is safe right now? And do you think it's necessary um, for the NBA season to return? As far as the bubble thing in Orlando goes, to be completely honest, I'm not buying it. It's going to be an issue. You know what I mean? I think at this Mm -hmm. point, you have found out how many players on the Jazz I had it. You have found out that KD had it. And I'm not saying this corona thing isn't serious. I just feel like amongst certain groups, it's been it's been kind of made out to be this, like, boogeyman type of thing where there's all this fear around it, but there's not a ton of backing. Like, there was no NBA player that, you know, didn't recover from it or it might have been some residual issue. I remember there was somebody was saying, like, Rudy Gobert couldn't uh, – he didn't have his sense of taste for a while. But I, I'm, it's, it's a very interesting thing to me. I think you bring up a valid point in the fact that it does affect different demographics. I would imagine NBA players would probably be able to recover it easily because they're human beings at the top of physical peak of their 
uh, crimes and, you know, physical crimes. So I think that that's a strong indication for that. Yeah. In terms, in, in terms of it being safe, I'd, here's the thing about this campus thing. If players want to have the freedom to move around and have, you know, be able to leave the campus if they want, is not going to be 100% safe. And, you know, I can't blame the players for, you know, wanting that freedom because who would if, – if you don't, it's basically like – and I remember one player saying that it would feel like prison almost, and nobody wants that. But at the same token, if you don't have really strict quarantine rule, you know, strict, you know, guidelines to go by, it's not going to be 100% safe. So, players – I think there's going to be ha- have to be some level of acceptable risk on the player's part, knowing that there's going to be a level of risk that they're going to have to accept if they want to have a certain level of freedom in, within this campus. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Lucas. This is inevitably, inevitably just going to come down to what the players um, are willing to risk. I do think it's worth noting that a recent statement from Disney said that their support staff is going to be able to travel freely in and out. So this was initially advertised when the report first dropped that the NBA was restarting. It's kind of this isolated bubble where they're going to have wide testing every day and no one would come in and out. That's obviously not the case right now. So so there is some additional risk. And it is worth noting that even though the virus doesn't necessarily impact younger and healthier folks as much, there are cases where it has um, gotten young and healthy people very sick. So, so it's not entirely, um, I guess, safe in that respect. But but. I think you're right, Lucas. This this is just going to come down to what the players are are willing to uh to to take. Money's going to be an issue here. Obviously, there are a lot of financial ramifications if the league doesn't restart. Um, the players would lose, I think, 1.2 billion in salary just this year alone. Not to mention future money. So I I think that's going to be a pretty strong incentive for players to get on board and get back. Um, and for the league as well. So so it'll just come back down, like you said, to what they, they think they can accept. Most definitely. And we want to shift gears now, and we want to go ahead and touch on some of the Sixers players. In particular, their two stars, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, both have recently – there's been stories recently coming out with both of them working this offseason. Joel Embiid has reportedly been working out six days a week, and Ben Simmons has – clearly added some bulk to his frame and been working out with an NBA legend, Dwayne Wade. So Daryl, my question for you is what are your thoughts on their individual workouts regimens? And what do you think is the expectation for them physically when they first return to uh, training camp, assuming that there is one? Uh, I think, you know, for their, you said season first, right? I mean, or individual. Yeah. Individually. Yeah. I, I think for their individual is going to be, I think they're going to be expected to, you know, be two guys who really sat down during this time and reflected on their part in everything that just happened, which is a outstanding home record, but a, a, a pitiful away record. And I feel like something like that has to be mental. Like, I feel like I've marked it up several times to just being traits of a young team that gets up in front of a home crowd and doesn't carry the momentum as well on the road. The bottom line is, I think for them it's going to be expected that they went home and figured out why it was and dealt with it. And from a physical standpoint, I think they're ready. Uh, they're going to be looked at as ready to just, just take everything that's been thrown at them and really just take it in stride. But in particular for Joe Embiid, if he's been working out six times a week, 
I would expect the, the expectations to be like, all right, you got to come back in shape, bro. You know what I mean? Like the the idea you got somebody that skill, but he, he suffers because he has a newer player's eye uh, ball IQ, but is out of shape is something a lot of people aren't willing to accept anymore. Yeah, I think you make a good point, Daryl. Um, I I get the sense just you know perusing Twitter and stuff that a lot of people don't really trust Joel at this point when it comes to his workout regimen and his dietary practices just because he always he always seems to find a way to get out of shape I, I think to his credit a lot of that just comes down to injuries during the season um, it's not entirely his fault I do think he's made an effort to uh, get healthier and get in better shape um, over the past year or so so I, I mean I totally believe him that he's working out six times a week I, I don't doubt it I think this may end up being kind of good for him you know a three-month break during the middle of the season just so he can sit down nurse whatever bumps and bruises he has because his game is obviously conducive to getting bumps and bruises. He's down in the post a lot. He's very physical. He's obviously big. So so I think there may be some hidden benefit for Joe just getting three months off and getting three months to train on what, what he needs to train on. But but I do think there are some trust issues there. And the, and the same goes for Ben too because we've seen stuff about him maybe coming back and shooting threes. I don't think anyone really thinks that's going to happen. But like you said, the Sixers obviously have some things to uh, to figure out with regard to their road record. They haven't performed well away from home. They obviously aren't going to be playing at home anymore this season. So so that's something they're going to need to get on top of. And that, that starts with Joel and Ben. Those are the two leaders, both emotionally and on the court. So So it really does start there, as you said. I think you guys bring up very good points. And Chris, you in particular, about trusting Ben and Joel to do the things that they said that they're going to do. Both have had poor track records in the past regarding those aspects. Ben Simmons said that he was going to start launching threes at the beginning uh, during media day this year. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Joel Embiid during the offseason said that he had lost 20 pounds. And, you know, he came to the season. He didn't look like he, he – he looked lethargic to begin the season, to say the least. So, I think there's trust issues on both sides. And for me personally, I ex- – I don't expect Joel Embiid to be in basketball shape. I think the eight regular season games are definitely going to help him with that. But I expect him to be healthy with no major uh, bruises and, you know, bumps or bruises there. With Simmons, Daryl, how do you feel with him working Dwayne Wade? Do you think that's going to add more to his game or do you think it's just going to do more or less the same? Because Dwayne Wade's not really a proficient three-point shooter. He's much more of a slasher, which – Ben has been showing he primarily wants to do at this point. I got to be completely honest with you. I didn't even think about Ben Simmons learning from Dwayne Wade in the sense of a slasher. So that is a good look. It's a great look. But I I think it's more of a mental thing. You know what I mean? Dwayne Wade played with LeBron, which is the closest guy, in my opinion, who he is to in the league right now um, as far as the skill set goes. Obviously, LeBron shoots a little more willingly. But, you know, a lot of the same things. You know, you're a bigger guy who can pass, who can run the floor very well, you're athletic. And because Dwayne Wade played with him, I feel like the insight that he could give would be amazing. You know what I mean? Because it's somebody that, all right, I'm talking to you as one of your teammates. You know, where would I expect you to be? What would I expect from you at different times of the game? Like, I think him being around uh, Dwayne Wade is going to be much more of a, a mental exercise than a physical. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a very good point. I do think Ben definitely has some work to do on the mental side of things. 
I, I do want to credit him for playing as hard as he does. I, I do think he plays with a real genuine edge. You know, he's, he's a really hard player, especially on defense. He, he plays his, his butt off. But um, offensively, especially late in games on the bigger stages, we have seen him falter at times. You know, we've seen him get a little timid. And Dwayne Wade is one of the best closers in recent memory. So I, I do think on that front, that there's a chance that he could help in quite a bit. Yeah, I'm gonna. I I think you guys bring up because I wasn't thinking of the mental aspect of all. I was just thinking of the physical aspect. So I, I think you guys bring up a lot of interesting points there. And just one last thing, Daryl, do you think this added bulk on uh, Ben Simmons will help his game, especially uh, with the fact that there's a good chance Shake Milton comes into the starting five and he's going to be more of a traditional point forward or power forward? I got to be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I would. I think the optimist in me hopes it helps his game um, from a confidence standpoint. Like we said, at the end of the day, he's a slasher, so he's not going to go out there launching threes, having more, uh, I guess, confidence, you know what I mean, and, and, and the shape that you're in and the strength that you can kind of throw around him. Like, he's already 6'10", so he's not scared to be in the post, but when you're a little more confident in your body as a player, like, that makes it easier to get a couple more finishes or ask for a couple of more post-ups. It's just that confidence carries over. So I'm hoping that was the point of him bulking up and not so much of something that's going to cut into his speed. He feels like he has a, you know, uh, to acquire a bunch of strength versus just like, listen, I'm doing this so I feel better slashing through the lane or getting a couple more post-buckets. I, I think with Ben, any added strength, as long as, like you said, it doesn't take away from his speed is going to help. Um, I don't think he's going to shoot threes again, so I'm not really worried about it affecting his jumper or anything. So with regard to him playing to his strengths, which is scoring inside, getting to the rim, putting pressure on the basket, I I don't see how it would hurt him. Um, so, you know, he's again, Ben has always been a hard worker, so I do think on that front uh, I would be pretty optimistic about it. I think you guys bring up two very good points. The way that I approached this was, Ben's a very cerebral player. He's he know he's not he's not stupid. He knows that his two major injuries this year that have caused him to miss time were both upper body injuries. One was a shoulder. One was his back. Adding that extra bulk not only helps him with his offensive and defensive game, but also probably protects those two areas a little bit more too. Being a little stronger would definitely help him uh, deal with the physicality of down low in the posts. So I, that's something I think it would definitely help him in regards to the added bulk. Yeah, and, and I think it's worth worth pointing out that with Ben, I think his back is kind of an, a bit of an underrated storyline here as, as the season gets closer to restarting. Because as, unless I've missed something, the Sixers haven't like given a 100% concrete statement that he's perfectly ready to go and he's totally healed. They've kind of hinted at it. They said he's getting better. They said he's. They expect him to play, but they haven't come out and said he's 100% for sure ready to go. So I do think back injuries can be really tricky. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how comfortable Ben is using his physicality inside once the season starts because if his back is still a little wobbly, that, that could really hurt Philly. I like the point about him kind of like protecting those areas a bit more. Like I said, I think it's a lot more um... – because it, was like, it wasn't like he was lacking strength. I think it's just a lot more mental than it is about the physical. You know what I mean? It's that confidence to, mm-hmm. to move without the fear that something's going to break or crack or something. 
All right, so we're going to move on here to the coaching side of things, and we're going to talk about Brett Brown for a bit. As we all know, Brown has been on the hot seat to some degree for essentially two seasons now, and when you juxtapose that with his expanding coaching tree, it's a bit weird because a recent report said that Aime Odoka, um, the Sixers' current lead assistant and their defensive coordinator essentially, is the lead head coaching candidate for the Chicago Bulls under new GM Mark Eversley. Obviously, Mike D'Antoni has worked under Brett Brown in the past. Monty Williams, Lloyd Pierce are all head coaches now in the NBA. So, Daryl, what are your thoughts on on Brown's apparently expanding coaching tree? Do you think that says anything about him as a coach? Do you think that speaks to his abilities? Or do do you think that that he should – you know, maybe not get the credit that we're maybe trying to give him here. No, I, I definitely think it speaks to his abilities, but I also think there's something to be said about the progress of the team. You know what I mean? Anybody, it's, it's just how it goes with winning. If people are around during the uh, era where teams are winning, you know, people, they want to pick at that era. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't want to just try to get the head coach. You're probably not going to get him, but I can get somebody learned under him. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people associate – uh, Brett Brown with Greg Popovich for the years that he was there. So I think this is how coaching works, but I definitely think Brett Brown deserves a little bit more credit, you know, as a guy who just – we talk about this process, this, and process that, and at the end of the day, it's like he's got this team to a pretty good spot. And I think people are expected at this point for it to be there and kind of put in the microwave and, like, you're still dealing with players in their third and fourth years in the NBA. You know what I mean? They're not – like Steph and Clay and them. And when you look at when they started winning championships, it wasn't in their second and third year. You know, it was in that fifth, sixth, seventh. I think people expect it to happen so fast with Philly because of all the changes made, because of how long the process felt, because of how many roster changes have been made, and quite frankly, because of how much money has been paid to these two guys. But it's we're still in the process. It's still going to take time. I think you bring up a good point. But I, I, I'm going to say this about Brown's coaching tree. Dan, Tony, and Monty Williams were head coaches prior to coming with Brown and were expected to get head coaching jobs eventually down the road. And that's exactly what happened with them. I'm not, and I believe Lloyd Pierce, it was his first time being an assistant head coach with Philly. So Lloyd Pierce is a pure product of Brett Brown. And Ime Udoka it was an assistant for Greg Popovich, I believe, for seven seasons before he came on Brown's roster. And uh, I, going to Udoka for a second, I personally had him, if Brown uh, was to be fired, as him as a uh, strong candidate. And I think him going to Chicago would make sense, not only because he, he would be a player's coach, he's very defensively oriented, and he has a, and on top of that, he has a relationship with the front office because of Mark Eversley, who was in the Phillies front office before taking the GM's job in Chicago. So I think all those factors make Udoka a strong candidate there. But I think Brown's coaching tree, you have to look at it a little bit deeper than just, oh, well, he's had four coaches in the past five years become head coaches. But obviously he is a, he's not a, a scrub of a head coach. He, He's definitely a strong motivator. He's definitely a player's coach. He has he has some good defensive schemes. Offensively, I'm not sold on Brown, but defensively, as a coach and as a player development coach, he's had his his strong moments. Yeah, I I was going to point out the same thing, Lucas. Where you could just throw a whole bunch of asterisks around, 
uh, when you're talking about Brown's coaching tree. Obviously, D'Antoni was the the kind of orchestrator of the seven seconds or less sons. So he his reputation was already sealed before he even got to Philly. He was also there during one of the lowest points of the process, so I don't think that necessarily helped him in any way. So I, I don't think you can necessarily give Brown a ton of credit there. Obviously, Monty Williams was a very respected and established coach as well. And even with Lloyd Pierce, he had, he had earned a very solid reputation as an assistant elsewhere in Cleveland and on other teams. Um, you know, Billy Lang got moved up to head coach at St. Joseph's. Lindsey Harding is now a full-time assistant with Sacramento after working player development under Brown. But even she obviously had a, a very solid resume herself as a player. So you could definitely kind of th- um, throw some asterisks in there. I don't, I don't think Brown is, is necessarily, you know, the reason for everyone's success here. And as you said, Udoka is probably more tied to Greg Popovich than he is to Brett Brown at this point. So, so I do think those are all good points. And, and as far as Brett's, Brett's abilities, I'm still fairly high on him. Like if I had to make a ranking of all 30 head coaches in the league, my gut feeling is he would probably end up in the top half. Like, I I don't think he's a bad coach at all. I I think he went toe-to-toe with Nick Nurse last year in the playoffs. Philly almost won that series as underdogs. I think he's had some pretty poor luck in terms of roster construction, both obviously during the process and just how this year's roster fits. It's it's not good. You know, it's hard to work in an aging Al Horford next to a point guard who won't shoot and Joel Embiid. It's just not going to work, I think, regardless of who's head coach. So so I do think it's a tough situation for him. Daryl, what are your thoughts on Brown's job security at this point? Do you expect him to be back next season no matter what? Or do you think he has to accomplish something in you know specific uh, to, to be back with the Sixers next season? I think it's one of those things where, like, if he doesn't – if they don't perform at all, like, if they play this eight games and it's some BS and they lose in the first round of playoffs, I think they 110% are going to get rid of him. Um, not necessarily saying it's all on him, but I think at this point it's like, all right, what can we change? You know what I mean? The second round I think is a bit of a toss-up. If he makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals with this team, I think his job is a lot for some years to come. But – I feel like the second round, depending on who – everything is about their matchup. It's who do they lose to, um, you know, and how much do they lose by if they do lose. Like, to the Celtics, for example. To the Celtics, I feel like with the Celtics, the whole point of getting out Al Horford was to coach up a younger uh, Joel Embiid and this team, quite frankly, but also just get the one guy with the Celtics that, you know, could stop Joel Embiid and beat the Sixers. So I feel like they get to the Celtics and they lose again. It's like, all right, we just pay Al Horford that much money. We're not getting rid of him. Brett Brown is looking like it's time. I think you bring up a good point about matchups for the Sixers. This whole entire playoffs is about matchups. And I know Chris believes that if there's a chance the Sixers could very well lose in the first round, and that's a possibility against the Celtics if that's who they're matched up against. But I, I like that matchup against Celtics more than any other team that they could possibly be matched up in the first round with. But um, moving to um, – Brown's uh, being in the hot seat. I think if he, even if he gets to the Eastern Conference Finals, if he gets swept or goes for a one in that series, he could be gone then too. To be honest, I, I think that's a strong possibility. And we, I said that last week on uh, on our podcast when we had Keith Pompey on. So I'm going to stick with that there. Mm-hmm. So I think, and you know, 
getting rid of Al, uh, you said, you know, they're not going to get rid of Al Horford. I don't know if they can get rid of Al Horford. It's not that I don't think that they you know, want to. I just don't know if they can. I don't, I don't think they can either. You pay the guy that much money, you better get something. Yeah, and I don't think teams are liking what they've seen from him so far this season. So it's going to take a lot for a team to get a team to take him at this point, unless exactly. he unless he performs crazy well in the playoffs. Exactly. Um, I do have one bonus question for you, Daryl. Before uh, before uh, uh, Chris chimes in, is uh, if Brown does get fired, who do you have as your personal uh, favorite as a uh, lock for a potential replacement i gotta be honest i don't i i don't have one i've heard tyron lou i don't like that i've heard Fizz, i don't like that it's it's i don't have one bro i gotta be honest i don't think i have one somebody threw out thibodeau's name i was like where the hell is he first of all i feel like i haven't kept up one with a while but i, I don't know I don't, I don't have one bro i don't even want to bs you appreciate that for me personally i actually like jason kidd but I, I understand. I, I wow. because because you know he did such good work work with Giannis. I think him and Ben Simmons would be a great pairing. So I see what so you're saying. Just, yeah. yeah, I like that. I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel about Kid just because you know of the baggage and the history there. I, I don't know if I'd you know particularly want to get behind him as a person, but but, but as a coach, I could see where you're coming from. Uh, I think my personal favorite, and this is something I've talked about in the past, would be if the Rockets fired D'Antoni. I think he'd be a really interesting fit to come in and, you know, just to see what he could do uh, with this offense. Obviously, Joel and Ben isn't, you know, they aren't the traditional players for a D'Antoni offense. That's not really the traditional structure for him. But to to see what he could maybe orchestrate with, you know, a quicker tempo, maybe more shooters if Elton's able to add them this summer, I'd be really interested to see see D'Antoni get a hold of this offense. Um, So he'd be my personal favorite. Um, depending on how things go in Houston, obviously a lot of moving parts there. The Rockets are in sort of a similar situation where if they don't perform, a lot could change over there as well. All right, so so Daryl, I just I just as a big Villanova fan, I grew up in Philly as a as a youngster. I grew up loving Villanova and Temple, obviously the Sixers. So I just wanted to ask you, uh, as a former NCAA collegiate player with a championship now um, on your resume. Could you just tell us what that was like uh, being in such a, a big spot, big position in the championship? And then when Chris Jenkins hit that shot, what was, what was that experience like for you? It was amazing. You know what I mean? It was, it was life changing. I think it was, it's kind of surreal. Like I, I wanted, you know, the goal for me is to write, direct and produce uh, movies ultimately. And I remember like, watching that play unfold from the angle that I was at, it just, it felt like a very, like, it felt like a camera angle almost. You know what I mean? I think that's just how I see life sometimes. So the actual play that, you know, that came together with Arch pitching it back to Chris and Chris kind of stepping into it one, two, and looking at the entire thing for me, like, oh, he's going to make this, he's going to make this. Because, you know, you play with a guy long enough, you kind of get a feel when he's going to make and miss shots. And having that play on play, like, almost in slow motion was – it was surreal, but like I said, it was nice for it to happen for Chris. It was, it changed our all lives afterwards. I could not say I'd be where I'm at without it, but uh, it's different, man. It was different. I, I guess I hate to say it again, but I best I guess surreal is like the best word for it. 
Yeah, man. It's always great to talk about your college days. And, you know, we we're curious, though, what's going on with you nowadays, because it's been over, it's been about a year or so since you've been on here. So what, tell, tell everybody what's new with you, man, since the last time you've been on here. Um, a lot, man, a lot. So I started working for the Big East uh, as a freelance reporter. Uh, I had the Big East tournament, you know, the award show. I did some of their post-game hits and all that. And it was just – it's been different. You know what I mean? It's been different Um, because it's like I played with some of them. I remember this year when Seton Hall beat Villanova and Miles Powell, he comes out of the tunnel. The first thing I hear is I got one big fella. And that hurt, but it was like – I played against him. You know, I was a fresh. I was a senior when he was a freshman. So to see him kind of progress and then do a, a post-game interview with him is is weird. Um, you know, I saw Kamar Baldwin at the awards show, and it's just like this, this is the last group of guys I played with. So I think that was the weirdest thing. But just everything for me in that sense feels like a lifetime ago. And for them, it's like they're just now wrapping it up. So that's been nice. But just building, stay tuned, network um, mostly. You know what I mean, we have uh, the show processed. Under there with me and Hunter Brody, you know, we talk six and stuff on there. Um, looking to add a couple more shows. Actually, one is funny. You said, Uriah, you know, the NCAA focused on the NCAA and just the college athlete experience. So it's been working with building that brand and really getting that, you know, getting as much as I can up under that umbrella. Yeah, that's that sounds awesome, man. It sounds like you got a nice little career path working for the Big East. I'm not going to lie. I miss the old Big East with the Big East tournaments and, uh, you know, with uh, Syracuse, West Virginia, yeah. all those guys. Yeah. I, I miss yeah. those Big East tournaments. I'm a West Virginia fan myself. So, um, and I know you guys had some fun games against them right before they left the Big East. Um, yeah, but, man. I got to be honest with you. I, I think it's going to get reassembled. With UConn coming back this year, I feel like, that's going to be – that was the first step of bringing back in certain teams, especially teams that aren't performing well in, like, the ACC. Like, Syracuse is a bit of a toss-up because they made a Final Four a couple years back, so it's kind of hard. They actually made a Final Four the year we moved. I believe so. Am I tripping? Was that was it 16? It was, it was 16 and 17 when Syracuse went. But with UConn coming back, maybe a Notre Dame comes back. You know what I mean? Maybe a Boston College. Uh, people forget that they were in the Big East before the ACC. Maybe schools like that started to come back. I feel like Boston College would fit better in this new uh, Big East than they would, you know, in the ACC where they're at the bottom of the barrel every year. But like I said, the old Big East is great. West Virginia was great. I'm hoping they're another team to make their way back because teams like that just, they make a conference so much more better and just competitive and diverse. I definitely wish West Virginia would have stayed in the Big East, most definitely. I don't like their fit in the Big 12. Geographically, it makes no sense. And then they had to change their whole entire style of play, not only in football, but in basketball, too, because, you know, obviously the moves were football-related. But who knows, man? I'm, I I personally hope that West Virginia gets back to the Big East. I'd like the – my favorite Big East tournament game was probably when UConn played against West Virginia when Joe Alexander was there. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, you remember that him and uh, Hashim the beat exactly. jump ball. Now th- 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 that's when you knew it was going to be a good game. But you know, <laughs> so, so so anyway, I, I have another question for you. Uh, in terms of this quarantine, has that uh, has that really affected your job? And what have you exactly been doing during the quarantine? Ah, man, does it affect my job? We hit in the middle of the Big East tournament. You know what I mean? So we were in the beginning to, to be uh, I said the middle. The beginning of the Big East tournament, actually. I want to say it was we had the award show one day. We had the first set of games the next night. Um, 
And by the next morning, like the first real day after like the play-in games, it had got canceled halfway through Creighton and St. John's. So I'm not going to lie. Quarantine hurt my pockets as it did everybody else because I had a lot of things riding on March Madness in the Big East tournament. But just like everybody else, I've, I've been getting through it, you know, just finding ways to kind of kind of double down my craft and study a bit more because like, I'm starting a few new shows. So I, I liked it because at first it was like you're losing your mind, but then you start to realize how many things fell between the cracks while you were like so busy, especially for us basketball fans this time of year. It seems like between March and June pretty much is like a sprint. So it felt good to kind of get a second to take a beat, you know, really get back on the track. Yeah, no, it definitely is a sprint during this time of year for basketball writers and fans, most and players, obviously. This is the home stretch. This would be the home stretch right now, but, you know, yeah. deep deep breath. You get to kind of take it all in, spend time with your friends. And, well, not maybe not your friends, but definitely your family. Of course. <laughs> and uh, so, and, you know, you kind of touched on this already. You know, you have a new career path. You're, you're, it looks like you're starting to be in the media aspect of basketball, which is great. So I guess my question is for you, you know, in terms of your injury, I, you know, can you give us an update on how, how you're doing with your injury as well as do you plan on getting back into basketball, maybe doing either overseas play again or possibly doing like TBT, something like that? I'm not exactly sure. I um, so I've been working out. I, I dunked off, you know, the lady that I injured the other day, you know, confidently and, it feels nice, but I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to fall as far as basketball goes. You know, I said that if I got a certain amount of years out, then it would just be um, something I kind of hang up. But at the same time, I would love to kind of get back in the G League and, you know, finish what I started in a lot of ways. And I was coming back overseas with a lot of momentum. But this media thing is giving me a new life. You know what I mean? And it's, it's nice to do this. And quite frankly, this was always the plan. It was just at 35, not 25. But, you know, I figure – if I put my 10 years in now, by 35, I could be sitting in a, a pretty good position with it. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to lie to y'all. I wrestle back and forth with the idea of going back to play, but it's it's still contingent upon my health. So while that's going on, I just focus, 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 you know, on the media. No, and, you know, obviously I'm sure that's a harder choice for you because you were at the top of college basketball and you were playing overseas. You had gotten your chance in the summer league. So I understand that, but it's like you said, you you got a good foundation to start with your media career here, and it could only go up. So that's that's definitely something that's that's a hard choice. And I guess, hey, you know what? If you want to go out for G League, uh, go for the Blue Coats uh, tryouts next. Yeah. Fall. And I, hey, I'll I'll come and support you. I'll drive up from Virginia <laughs> come and watch you play. Hey, I'm not joking, man. You let me know. I'll come and support you. I can't I can't do nothing because I'm out of shape and have a bad knee, but. You know, I'll come there. And I mean, heck, I might even try if I if I get if I actually really want to, I might try to get back into shape. Who knows? I need. I think I need to play some rec league first before I even try that. I say, <laughs> me and you both, bro. But I appreciate it. Me and you both. Most definitely, Chris. Did you have anything that you wanted to ask, Daryl? Um, I don't think so. I, I think it's just good to hear that that you're doing as well as you are with regard to to your media stuff and the things you're starting up. I think that's really exciting to hear. And as well as your rehab, I'm glad that's going well. And I just want to give Daryl a chance to tell everyone who's listening where he can follow, where you can follow Daryl and where you can follow all these um, cool things that you're starting up. So Daryl, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and do that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I guess follow first and foremost, follow the stay tuned network on uh, 
Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. It's literally just one word. Type in STN, it should pop up. But stay tuned. Uh, it's T-U-N-E-D at the end, you know, network. Like I said, on all those channels on LinkedIn, if you're there, follow it there as well. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. But like I said, over these next couple months, we're really just focus on kind of scaling, stay tuned and getting that out there. So definitely give that a follow. And from there, you'll find my stuff, you know, D-Ray, the director, D.R.E.Y., the director on everything. So yeah, man, get those things to follow. Thank y'all, man. Thank y'all for having me on again too. Thank you for coming. We, we really appreciate it. And, and we would love to have you on again in the future, obviously. Um, you're welcome anytime. We, we really appreciate it. Definitely Thank love you having so. you on, Daryl, man. You're, you're a great uh, guest to have on. For sure. Oh, man. That's a great show, man. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thanks again to everyone who is listening from wherever you are listening uh, during these trying times. We really appreciate you giving us a chunk of your day to talk some Sixers basketball and NBA at large. We, we, we really do genuinely appreciate it. You can follow Daryl at all those places he just said. We recommend you do that. He's, I'm sure, working on some great stuff. And you can follow the site at Sixersense on Twitter. Subscribe. Give us a positive review if you want to. iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, or wherever you are listening. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Come back next week. And we're excited to talk some more Sixers basketball in the future. Thanks, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.